Hey everyone. In today's extra, the last of the emoji series, I have two things for you. The first is a segment that didn't fit into the main series. While I was at Emojicon last November, I sat down with Paul Galloway. Uh, my name is Paul Galloway. I'm the collection specialist at the Museum of Modern Art in New York for the architecture and design department. And I talked to Paul about a big acquisition that the Museum of Modern Art had just announced. We acquired the 176 original emoji that were released by NTT Docomo in Japan um, in 1999 for their iMode system, which was the first mobile internet software on a cell phone. They're very reductive, very simple uh, glyphs. There's only five faces, but we feel that they're true masterpieces of design and belong in our collection at the museum. I am a huge fan of Shigetaka Kurita's original emoji designs. But I was kind of confused on how a museum acquires a set of little pixel drawings. Apparently, it involves a bunch of lawyers sitting down and brainstorming creative ways to license their intellectual property, long negotiations, and it's just a very complicated process. It makes me sometimes wish I could just acquire a, a freaking drawing for once in my life, um, because that's fairly simple. Uh, but they're, they're enormously fascinating and challenging things to work on. But the other thing that confused a lot of people about the acquisition was, why does MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, why do they have emoji or the at symbol or an app on display as artwork? The Museum of Modern Art, though we have art in our title, is a home for all creative disciplines. We have a department of film, the first department of photography in any museum in America. So it's been baked into our mission from the very beginning that the, the range of the creative field of humanity is really, really broad. I mean, it's, it's easy to forget, but right now nobody questions a photographer calling himself an artist or a film director calling themselves an artist. That was not acceptable even just 80 or 90 years ago. So we've really broadened the idea of what is an artist to uh, encompass a really large, large range. One other thing that I personally found interesting was, you know, a giant telecom company doesn't feel like the home of high art. But Paul pointed out that artists securing funding from large organizations, that's nothing new. The whole starving artist working alone in his garret in Paris is a myth. It's not actually how the vast majority of artists have worked over time. Uh, if you look at uh, f famous examples of people like Peter Paul Rubens or Rembrandt, they essentially were a corporation. They had a massive team of assistants. You know, they would swoop in and like paint the fun parts, like they'd do the face and all their like lackeys would paint the rest of the thing. So they were a kind of institution, a company, and they were capitalist institutions. They existed to make money. So. That's, and, but we don't belittle their, their work because uh, that, that was a collaborative enterprise. So I think the, that idea that an art is made by some struggling guy in his studio who's like tortured by his feelings is a myth that just needs to freaking go out into the field and die. Because it's just, it's really not true about how creative people actually work. I asked Paul, what made this original set of emoji so special to MoMA? Why does it stand out among digital design? It's, it's special to us because it's rare that you can pinpoint the beginning of something so clearly. Now, on desktop computers, people made weird text art, all these silly emoticons and shrugs and faces with various punctuation and symbols. Now, it was easy to do that on a desktop with a full-size keyboard. But as soon as people were doing things on cell phones, it became more difficult to express those things. So we are interested in this one very crucial moment in time, 1999, 
internet is coming onto cell phones for the first time. How do we help people express themselves in a meaningful way in this place? So to kind of focus the story back at this one kind of instance um, in the development of mobile communication, we find is a really interesting, compelling story to tell. Ultimately, by displaying the original set of emoji, Paul and everybody at MoMA, they hope that people might appreciate these little characters more and that people might remember the name of their creator. We just want everybody to have Shigetaka Kurita's name become the name that every, everybody is familiar with. If you're familiar with the emoji, you should be familiar with the name Shigetaka Kurita. And that's something I hope you'll take away from this emoji series too. So let's reinforce that name. Say it with me here. Shigetaka Kurita, the creator of emoji. And now the other part of today's extra. I wanted to reflect a bit on making this whole series. First, it was really intimidating, um, but I really hope that you have enjoyed the result. Executing a good ending to a series can be really hard. <coughs> Cereal! <coughs> Sorry, I just had a tickle in my throat there. Uh, but I think the work has paid off to have this land somewhere fun and satisfying and with a lot of information but leaves just the right amount of mystery. You know, this whole thing started around June, July of 2016. So it's been a year and some change at this point where I've been just thinking about emojis all the time. Uh, and now it's just kind of abruptly come to an end, which is this super weird feeling where I'm both glad to be done, but I'm also really sad to leave it behind. It's, uh, it's a bittersweet thing. But more than anything, I'm really proud of this work. And I am extremely grateful for all the help that you, my listeners, have provided in making this possible. So thank you. I really, really appreciate it. Next episode, we'll be returning to some classic Macintosh stories. Uh, I think you are really going to like them. All right. Thanks for listening.